We're continuing in the series on the fruit of the Spirit. And love, joy, we're in our third series after the introduction. We looked at love and we're now on joy this week. When you think about the gospel and you're sharing the gospel with people, one of the lines of argument that that is often that we ought to turn away from worldly sin and follow Christ. We encourage people to not sin because that brings condemnation and judgment in the long run, but to follow Christ instead. <coughs> we describe how Jesus died on the cross to atone for sin and we encourage people to, to live a more righteous life, a holy life, the way we ought to. It gives glory to God, it loves him. And it loves our neighbor. We encourage them to live a righteous life, to be at peace with God. To know that if we go to heaven or if we die, we go straight to heaven. Instead of living a sinful life with all the pleasures of sin. We resign ourselves to the fact that we are called to put to death sin which dwells within us. Jesus tells us to take up our cross daily and follow him. And Paul tells us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. The same thought as what Jesus teaches us. But somewhere along the line, we give the impression, and we probably sometimes have in our own minds as well, the idea that pleasure is sinful and lack of pleasure is godly. We are to turn away from sinful pleasures and turn to God through faith in Christ. And the impression, whether we say it or whether we think it or whether we just by our lifestyle give people the impression, it is that the gospel gives people a choice between enjoying themselves through sin or having a dull life that is holy and That if you want fun, you need to be an unbeliever. But once you become a Christian, well, that's it. That's gone in your life. There's no fun in being a Christian. That's the impression that many people have given in the past. That's the way many Christians have lived in the past. And the problem is compounded by the fact that since people often... When they haven't trusted Jesus, they have a guilty conscience. They often tend to have a... Uh, an attitude towards God where they're, they're conscious of his displeasure towards them, his wrath is upon them, Paul tells us in Romans one eighteen. They feel the need to be right with God, but they know there's something wrong. And so their thoughts of God naturally are thoughts of God not being happy with them. And so they have a choice of enjoying themselves the way they are or turning to this God who they think is harsh and judgmental towards them. They feel the frown of God upon them. And there's a sense in which that is valid, that is true. (coughs) But what they don't realize is that God is loving and God is gracious and God is joyful. And he wants them to to not move from 
guilty pleasures into just dull, boring lack of pleasure and lack of guilt. But to move from these things into the joy of what really gives pleasure, to have a clean conscience, to have peace with God, to know him. The question for us is, do we lose all sense of enjoyment and pleasure when we become a Christian? If we only think of pleasure as guilty pleasures, then there's something wrong with the way we think about the Christian life. Yes, we must avoid sin. We must reject sinful pleasures. But we also must develop a sense of joy which comes from knowing God, from appreciating him. One writer said, unhappy religious people provide more pervasive arguments for atheism and secularism than do all the arguments of atheists. Unhappy Christians <coughs> are more of a put-off to the gospel than all the arguments of atheists, he's saying. He may have overstated the point, but I think there's something true in it. We should be joyful. We should not let our joy be only found in sin. Instead, we ought to find our joy in God. David says that we ought to take delight in the Lord in Psalm 37, verse 4. Now, we often miss the significance of the start of that verse because the whole context of Psalm 37 is that we tend to be envious of those who seem to be enjoying themselves through sin, through guilty pleasures of the world. And we tend to, tend to envy them. And he starts, don't envy those people. Instead, delight yourself in the Lord and you will have the desires of your heart. And we often see <clears throat> delighting in, our, in the Lord as a, as a means to an end of having the desires of our heart. But the Bible teaches that actually delighting in the Lord is the end in itself. Having joy in the Lord, when when that is the delights of our heart, we are fulfilled and God is glorified. He says we are to fix our eyes on heavenly things, delight ourselves in the Lord. Delighting in the things of heaven is another phrase for Delighting in the things of God, not necessarily the things above the sky. It's not delighting ourselves in the things of a place. Delighting in the things of heaven is delighting in the things of a person, of God. (coughs) John Piper is well known for having written the book Desiring God. And in it, his argument is that for the Christian The great business of life is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. His words, the great business of life is to glorify God by enjoying him forever, are a twist on the 400-year-old catechism. What is the chief end of man or more modern language? What is our highest purpose in life? It is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. 
We're to glorify God in all we do. And we're to enjoy him. Piper says, the great business of life is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. We have no problem with the first half of that catechism answer to glorify God. We're his servants. He is God. He deserves all the glory. He is our creator and savior. And we're indebted to him in so many, many different ways. We ought to serve him and glorify him. But the second part of that answer to the catechism makes us wonder, did those those old Puritans, were they really just going off on a tangent there? Yes, we're to glorify God, but the main purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy him. If we've grown up fearing God, the whole idea of enjoying our relationship with him just seems totally alien to us. It almost seems self-indulgent, irreverent, or even frivolous. Surely religion is more serious than enjoying God. We need to be holy, yes. We need to, to not sin, but not sinning does not mean that life is dull. Not sinning, not having guilty pleasures doesn't mean that we have no pleasures. You've probably heard the, the caricature of many Christians who are long-faced grey men in grey suits or emotionless dull women in plain skirts, as some people have thought, as some people have experienced. Yes, there's a sense in which we're not as flamboyant as maybe those in the world. And we're not as attention-seeking in what we wear and how and, and all that we do, but we ought to have a joy and we can all, we can share in the the glory of the the splendor of well, not just grey suits. You know God has given us lots of colours, God has given us lots of different ways in which we can appreciate the splendor of creation and we don't have to take the goodness out of the world, out of life, to enjoy God. We can enjoy the good things by glorifying God. In fact, we need to be able to cultivate the practice of enjoying God, not just following Him, not just dutifully doing what we're meant to do without a smile on our faces. We ought to cultivate the practice of following God, walking with him with joy. Not just with thanksgiving, but with joy. In fact, (coughs) it is when we are enjoying God that Piper says we are most glorifying God. God is most glorified, he says, in us when we are most satisfied in him. God doesn't just tolerate us to come into his presence when we come to faith in Christ. He loves us. He takes delight in us. In fact, in Zephaniah 3.17 we read, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. 
With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. That's staggering. He will take delight in you with gladness. God takes delight in us. And he sings, he's not worshipping us, but he sings with joy. With joyful songs, he rejoices over us. We are not just led into his presence and kept in the corner while he gets on with all the, the things of God. He invites us to come right into his presence and and he puts, in a sense, not the main spotlight that's on him, but he puts a spotlight on us and he rejoices over us. And when we appreciate and experience that love of God and when we find delight in him that is how we are most glorifying God we are to glorify God and enjoy him forever and we glorify God by enjoying him forever Piper makes the argument he rejoices over us with singing we must rejoice in him too so much more we're made in his image even though that image was fallen it was marred with sin but we are recreated through faith in Christ by the work of the spirit and God takes delight in us because we are the in Christ we are the supreme expression of his creative power The angels, the animals, they do not have the spirit of Christ. Christ didn't die on the cross for them. He rejoices over us because we are so important to him. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, Surprised by Joy, which if you know a little about C.S. Lewis, you'll know that he ended up late in life marrying a woman called Joy. This isn't about her. (laughs) This book, Surprised by Joy, is about how he came to faith and had the joy of coming to faith in Christ early in his life. In the first few months of being a believer, he had first come from atheism to believe in God. But he wasn't a Christian then, he was just a theist. He moved from being an atheist to being a theist. But then he placed his faith in Christ and he he noted that for the first few months of his Christian life, he had a joy in God, but he was still pretty much untaught. And I don't know what church he was going to, but he hadn't really heard much about eternal life. He just heard about having a relationship here and now with God. And his joy in the Lord was not based upon just the hope of it'll be okay later on. His joy was based upon the reality of his relationship now with God. He was simply so overjoyed to find God in this life. And he's even more overjoyed to to learn about the next life as well and have the focus put on it. And Piper says, joy is the clearest witness to the worth of what we enjoy. It's the deepest reverberation in the heart of man of the value of God's glory. 
when we find joy in God here and now, we're actually letting people know that God is important to us. What we find joy in actually is an indication of what we value most. For some people it's a football club, for others it's a celebrity, for others it's their sport, their food, many different things. I know somebody who, well he spends a lot of time doing certain things around the house and that is what means most to him. An inordinate amount of time doing things that some other people wouldn't bother doing at times. Other people, they love their pets. Other people, they love their family. Others, it's various different things. And in a very real sense, they're idolizing these things. They're finding joy in these things rather than finding joy in God. Jesus told us we can't serve two masters. We'll end up loving one and hating the other. And we can't find our joy in life in one thing and then say we love God at the same time. He has to be first. David wrote in Psalm 16, You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. The joy of God's presence. We can know that personally. We can also know that together. And we often skip over such words in the Psalms. But David speaks of the joy of God's presence and the pleasures of living with God forever. We need to cultivate this idea of enjoying God, of walking with God, not just being justified before God, that leads, that's a means towards the end of knowing him, of enjoying him, of walking with him. C.S. Lewis said about the Psalms, likely with this and other verses in mind, the most valuable things the Psalms do for me is to express the same delight in God which made David dance. And yet, sometimes, we're not living in a vacuum. We're living in the world where there are so many difficulties, but yet we can have joy despite these difficulties. The joy of the Lord can give us a strength that isn't based upon the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Sometimes the situations we find ourselves in can be quite depressing. When you look at the political situation at the moment, it doesn't give you much hope or joy. When we look at the economy, it's pretty much the same. But we can have joy in our hearts, even if our situation is not the best. Nehemiah wrote about a day of celebration after they'd rebuilt the walls in Jerusalem, after they'd returned from exile. Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before the Lord. They're having a fellowship meal. 
Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He's applying an eternal truth to a particular situation. And that truth is that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Happiness may come from situations. We, yes, we're happy when good things happen and we're sad when sad things happen. But happiness and sadness, they come and go, they ebb and flow, like the tide comes in and out. But we can have joy, a deeper sense of joy, at all times. We can have that sense of joy which comes from inside, it's internal, by the work of the Holy Spirit, as opposed to the happiness and sadness which is from, based on external circumstances. Back in the um, back in the eighties, there were a lot of Christians who who gave the impression that if you were a Christian, you had to have a silly smile on your face all the time. So much so that there was a, a cartoon in, in a newspaper, and a friend of mine who's an atheist, he, he cut it out and gave it to me. And one Christian was saying to another, one Christian with the the grin was saying to the other who hadn't, you know, it was a bit depressed you can't be a Christian you haven't got the smile (laughs) and the impression was that if you're a Christian you had to have this smile on your face regardless of whether things were going bad whether you were mourning whether you know you had to fake this smile at all times that's not what joy is yes we can be sad at times and we can be happy at times but Happiness is not joy and sadness is not the lack of joy. Joy is deep down in our hearts when we know that God is with us, God is for us. We are right with him. We, he knows us and we know him. We are his and he is ours. That we are loved. That we have eternity ahead. That even though We go through difficult times now. He is a good shepherd. Is walking there through them with us. Joy is that sense of thankfulness that no matter what the world does or whatever happens to us, we have God. Just as we read in the reading... The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message, Jesus is the Messiah. If you were just flogged for being a Christian, would you be happy that you had the privilege of being flogged for being a Christian? It wouldn't be the first thing that would come to my thoughts, but it was the first thing that came to their thoughts. They were rejoicing that they were counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. They had joy that they were connected with Jesus. And if that brought suffering, that's incidental to the glory, the blessing of knowing Christ. When we are ostracized, when 
when people say things about us for being Christians, we often react in a negative way. We often think, well, how can we get them back on our side? How can we get them to, to think well of us? And in a sense, we want them to think well of the gospel. We don't want them to, to think badly of us for frivolous reasons. We don't want that to be a reason why they will turn away from the gospel. But sometimes, actually, we're more concerned about them accepting us. We're more concerned about our relationship with them than we are with our relationship with God. It's a challenge for us to have our joy in the Lord take priority over all other things. Tony Campolo, a Christian leader back in the 80s, he was in a church in Oregon and he had prayed for a man who had cancer. In the middle of the week, in the middle of the week, he received a phone call from the man's wife. She said, you prayed for my husband. He had cancer. He says, had? Well, we thought he had cancer. He's been healed. She said, he died. And he felt terrible. But she says, don't feel bad. When he came to church that Sunday, he was filled with anger that day when he was prayed for. And he knew he was going to be dead in a short period of time. And he hated God. He was 58 years old and he wanted to see his children and grandchildren grow up. And he was angry that this all-powerful God didn't take, take away his sickness and heal him. And he would lie in bed and curse God. And the more his anger grew towards God, the more miserable he was to everybody around him. It was an awful thing to be in his presence. And after you prayed for him, a peace came over him and a joy came into him. And the last three days were the best days of our lives. We've sung, we've laughed, we've read the scripture, we've prayed. They've been wonderful days. And I called to thank you for laying your hands on him and praying for him. And then she said something incredibly profound. He wasn't cured, but he was healed. He didn't find release from his pain and suffering, from his condition. But he found joy in Christ in the midst of his situation. And that transformed everything. And so often we're looking for happiness. We're praying to God that... God, please remove this situation so that I will feel happy again. And often we pray for people that, that God will change their situation in, in, in that way. But sometimes I think we ought to pray for ourselves and for others. Lord, help me to have joy in the middle of this situation. We ought to have joy in Christ. Paul prays, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Paul prays that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace as you trust in him. The first thing that we note there is, is not only that, not just that God is the source of joy and peace, but Paul prays that they will know that, that they will experience that. Basically, he's praying in a situation where they're not experiencing it. And he wants them to experience it. And too often we're in that same situation where we don't have that complete joy and, and sense of peace that comes from God. Where we need to be filled more with his joy and his peace. And that's something we can pray for ourselves and pray for others as well. When we think about what Christ has done for us, taking our sin on the cross, giving us a new life by the power of the Holy Spirit, giving us eternal life and inheritance ahead, bringing us into a new community of people, the body of Christ. When we know the blessings that are ours and we can hardly dream of the blessings which are still to come. We're the most blessed people on earth and so we should be the most joyful people on earth. When we think of the Father's love for us in Christ, we ought to have joy in our hearts. Not always necessarily with a silly smile on, but we ought to have joy in our hearts. Going back to that original thought about giving the impression that the Christian life is one that there's no joy or no pleasure. That it just involves the absence of sin, sinful pleasures. We ought to be able to show people that the focus is not on <clears throat> losing out on the joys of sin the pleasures of sin, which really aren't pleasures at all. In the long run, they don't bring joy. They disrupt lives and they cause broken relationships and all kinds of problems. They promise a lot, just like the very first sin, the very first temptation. They promise a lot. And we have a lot of anticipation that these things will make us happy, but they don't deliver in the long run. Instead of that, we can offer, we can show that we have... We have a lasting joy, a lasting peace, a deep fulfillment. The Christian life is just, it's not about not doing anything negative. We have a positive message, a positive life, something positive to share with people that we can enjoy life. We can enjoy God. We can glorify him. Sam Storms writes that the key to living a successful, sin-killing life doesn't come primarily from trying harder to not sin. The key to living a successful, Christian, sin-killing sin life doesn't come from trying harder not to sin. It comes from enjoying God more. Success in, in the Christian life doesn't come from keeping our focus on sin. Okay, I mustn't do this, I mustn't do this. He's saying that when we focus on God, we end up not sinning in the process, but we end up enjoying him. 
Pleasure in God is not only the power for purity, it's also one of the best things that we can do in terms of sharing the gospel. We can live the gospel out. We can prove that it works, that it's good news. Instead of giving the the impression that the Christian life is just about not enjoying guilty pleasures, we can show that the Christian life is about enjoying God, a deeper fulfillment. So let's encourage one another. Let's find our joy in Christ. And let's keep looking to him. The writer of the Hebrews says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Paul says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. God rejoices over us. Let's find joy in him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God in whom we can take delight. We thank you that you have made it possible for us to do so through the cross. We thank you that you call us to come into your presence as your dearly beloved children. We thank you for the adoption that is there in Christ. Lord, forgive us our sins. Forgive us for our lack of thankfulness and joy in our hearts towards you. Forgive us for finding joy in other things instead of in you. Lord, help us to appreciate the blessings you have given us, but help us, Lord, not to idolize them. Help us to see these things as gifts from you and to give you thanks. But Lord, help us in all things to find our joy in you. Lord, may we delight in you and may we give glory to you by doing so. In Jesus' name, amen.